All right, welcome back to another episode of Life Between the Sticks with Cody Cropper. As always, your host, Brandon, and we are back post-World Cup. Post-World Cup. You went away uh, I did. for the week after Christmas, which is good, visiting family. I did the same, albeit less warm uh, than you in California. <laughs> I only went to Iowa. Yes, California. I mean, it was a little rainy, but better than Minnesota. Bro, it got bad here for a while, <laughs> uh, as you know, definitely during the crazy storm. But uh, we're back and just in time for not only the MLS preseason to be kicking off, which this is the earliest that preseason has ever kicked off. We've got the drama with U.S. soccer. So a lot of different things to touch on between Burhalters, Reynas, now the Pepe uh, <laughs> comments about his reaction to not getting called up. So we're going to touch on a lot of that. But before we do, you have another product from uh, Motivate. Uh, it's the supplement brand you use as a professional athlete yes. and trust and uh, timely, <laughs> timely timely product. This yes, time. it is a new year, new me product. It is Motivate Detox. It helps you beat the bloat. It provides uh, digestive support. And, you know, not only do I like it, my wife likes it. And, you know, anybody in our family that has also tried it, any of my friends and family, that have tried it really like it as well. So I suggest that you, you know, start your new new year off right. Yeah. And get some motivate detox. Yeah, that post holiday diet, right? It's going to be exactly. really important. I think a lot of us made some concessions that we don't normally. So, uh, you got a code? Uh, yes, it is Cody fifteen. All right, it'll be in the description. Fifteen. We got a link and the code in the link description. and code in the description. Don't this worry guy. about it. Um, all right. So first off, let's talk about uh, the the wild allegations uh, surrounding the Burhalter versus Reyna family dispute. So kind of set the stage for everyone out here. Burhalter's contract expired, I believe, December 31st. I believe you're right. January yes. 1st, he's technically not employed by U.S. soccer. So there was a lot of question of, is he going to sign? Does he want to go to club football? That very quickly became irrelevant because all of a sudden the media blasted everybody and said, hey, guess what? There's an unnamed family in the, in the squad that is threatening to blackmail Greg Burhalter if U.S. soccer doesn't can him, which was a crazy allegation to be made. You it assume was. they had some sources. So then the next thing that happens is Burhalter comes out and uses his Twitter account, which he never does. It's to the point does. where no one even no one even knew if it was it wasn't verified, was it really him? So then you're like, okay, well this is weird. Then US soccer puts out a statement and says, hey, we've been made aware of a potential domestic abuse violation you know US soccer we take this serious they they've had all the horrific issues with the nwa nwsl and uh or the nwsl they've had a lot of issues with different things in that sense so it's like okay we we got to look at this their comments were their their press release was very murky and like left a lot of doors open i think yeah. it hurt more than it helped at the time yes and then they said, we'll have a new coach in, in line for the January camp. Burhalter is not going to be there. Well, obviously, he hasn't signed a contract. So he's definitely not going to be there. So at this day, the media is on fire. Everybody is making their opinions known. Essentially, it's pretty obvious that Reyna, Gio, had issues with Burhalter. Uh, Burhalter used Gio's um issue within camp to promote how good of a leader he is at this leadership conference post world cup geo had to come out and make a statement it was like my bad man i apologize you asked me i did i thought we handled it behind closed doors that was also the agreement was it not that it would be Allegedly. handled and kept behind closed doors and wouldn't go into the media so obviously there's friction between geo reyna and greg burhalter yes. then you kind of peel layers back so the Burhalters and Reyna families have known each other for a long time. Very long time. So Burhalter had to air this dirty laundry when he was 19, back in the early 90s. He was at UNC Chapel Hill. Yeah. His girlfriend, now wife, was roommates with Gio Reyna, or I'm sorry, Claudio Reyna's now wife. So she witnessed this issue and a potential pattern of bad behavior, and she's been there from the beginning, right? right. So then all of a sudden you connect the dots, and you're like, well... Claudio Reyna's wife, a.k.a. Gio's mom, went to school with Burhalter and his now wife. It was pretty obvious to how to connect the dots. And so Lala, Stu Holden, Twelman, like every soccer head out there condemned and blasted the Reyna family. And, and other people, I think it was more fans than anyone really official, 
was like Claudio Rayner should be kicked out of Austin FC. Uh, like Geo should never play again. Like this is disgraceful that you would blackmail. Well, for those of us that were patient and waited today, Danielle Reyna came out and gave her side of the story, which to me, and this is just my opinion, is far more believable. That again, she called Ernie Stewart. You go about this little family of like soccer people that grew up together. He's right in the middle of it. Yeah. And she said, nope, I called Ernie. I just asked him to speak with Greg to make sure he doesn't drag Gio's name through the mud anymore. He's a kid. He's struggling with all this heat he's getting. You know, Greg made a mistake as a 19-year-old. We all know it. Like, Greg should know more than anybody that, like, this is a tough time for kids. That then, because Ernie's an employee of U.S. Soccer... Uh, triggered an automatic investigation, and that's what blew up. But I don't think Danielle at any point was really trying to blackmail. So this is a mess. It's an absolute disaster post a semi-successful World Cup. Agreed. What do you make of all this? (laughs) Uh, It's just, it's a never-ending circle of, it just, well, it just seems like a never-ending circle of drama. I think... Like you said, I don't think Danielle Reyna ever meant for it to be perceived as blackmail. I think the situation that occurred during the World Cup was dealt with and was meant to be kept behind closed doors. It was not. Gio Reyna apologized, and now it's kind of just blown out of proportion as things have have escalated and as as time has gone on, and I just... I think he he recognized his mistake, his his um, his issue in, in in kind of pulling his foot off of the pedal during the World Cup after Geo. being told yes, Geo after being told that he would not be a starter or play significant minutes. I think he recognized that moment or that that issue and apologized for it and began to deal with it and regrets it. And I don't think that it's something that needed to come to what it did, needed to come to this. Yeah, well, for sure, you know. And look, this isn't the first time he's had to deal with a disciplinary issue. Weston McKinney got kicked out of camp for undisclosed reasons. Yes. So, like... That was handled behind closed doors. It was. That was handled outside the public. And I tell you, and we it was all, kept. We and it's all, been kept there. We all wanted to know yes, we what did. Weston did. The allegations and the guessing, it was scandalous. But Weston was able to be reintegrated. Correct. He was punished. He had to leave. He potentially hurt the chances for qualifying. It was not wrapped up at that point. But that was handled cleanly. It's just weird that this has not, and I'm not blaming Greg. I don't think anyone should have their dirty laundry aired from you know no. when they were 19, especially when clearly him and his wife have figured out how to move past it. Correct. I mean, they have, together, they've been quite successful since then. They have four children. I mean, they have found a way to move past it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that something that happened 20 years ago... 30 years ago? Yeah, probably. Over? uh, Needed to be aired. Right. I think that everybody makes mistakes when they're young. I certainly made my fair share as a player, as a person. But you, you, you grow and you learn from them. And I think that Greg has grown and learned from his mistake. I think Weston grew and learned from his mistake. And I believe that Gio has probably learned from his mistake. Well, I don't think that Gio and Greg are ever going to be on the same sideline ever. I, think I don't think this, so either. I think that this is... It's gotten gross. Yeah, it has. It's it's become very negative. It's impacted U.S. soccer in ways that I don't think people realize that it has yet. Um, it's probably set U.S. soccer back a couple years, unfortunately, uh, with the development of the organization because you don't see this happening to England. You don't see this happening to Brazil. You don't see, and they continue to grow. We have all these dramatic experiences in the U S 
because of where our society is today, these things have to be dealt with. And unfortunately, I think that because of that right now, this has set U.S. soccer back. Yeah, so kind of the way I break it down is is in a, in a sick, twisted way, Greg kind of brought this on himself by using Geo as an example in a public forum Correct. to promote his amazing leadership ability, which, by the way, I think it backfired because if you read it, he said that he wanted to send this player home, but the team voted, and I think by one vote kept him. So if anything, right. that just says that like you acquiesced to the team, even though you wanted yeah. him gone. So I don't even know how much he really won I, yeah. off of that. No, I, I agree. And, and for me, living in the United States, I f- am a big fan of, of football. And here in Minnesota, there was a, I don't want to call it a similar situation, but with the University of Minnesota football, they had a scandal that happened and P.J. Fleck, being a very good leader, dealt with that situation, kept what he could behind closed doors, and dealt with it in a way that you look at Minnesota, their football program has since then grown. Yeah. It has you know, seen steady increases. He, they dealt with it, and... I just don't see the same kind of mitigation from U.S. soccer and Greg Berhalter. And yeah. that's not anything against Greg or U.S. soccer. I'm just saying the comparisons are very different for, for somebody who follows you know, the Golden Gophers and U.S. soccer. Just probably a small overlap, but you get the idea yeah. <laughs> because it goes back to strong leadership. Right. And again, exactly. if Greg never would have used it to build his own profile post world cup, this wouldn't be out in the public. Greg put it in the public. Correct. What happened? A concerned mom, which again, call it a helicopter parent, whatever you want. A lot of people are saying it's classic us soccer. Like I think people forget how close knit like men and blazers put it out there. Like, Greg and Claudio played in the national team together. Like they were, I think like at Gio's birth, you know, like these families were so close. And when you throw Ernie Stewart in there, he, they all played in the national team at the same time. Like they're a part of this good old boys network, which we'll talk about. And so, you know, she's calling up a family friend to say like Gio struggling. Like I'm asking you to make sure Greg doesn't flame him out in the media anymore. And I do think, though, that goes back to poor leadership tactics on his on his side. Yeah. Now, what I do think sucks for Greg and his wife and now this whole situation is I would have wished that Ernie would have used a little bit of discretion yeah. and kept it under the rug and behind closed doors. Instead, and I know like this is very much a gray area. It's now an, an he is a mandatory reporter about domestic abuse, but it didn't happen. It wasn't related to U.S. soccer, but it's technically not even an employee anymore. But at the time, it was because this was mid December. Yes, it 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 autom- it was an automatic investigation. Yeah, but again, like if they just would have handled that internally, but because of the scandals and the other things that U.S. soccer USSF has gone through. They have to be proactive in communication and they have to say, no, no, we heard about this. We're investigating it. It might come to nothing, but we're on it. So we don't get in trouble for negligence or turning the other way. But like, this just didn't seem like it. And so now I do feel bad that this is blown up, but it did all stem from, uh, you know, Greg's public comments. But then what we'll transition to in a little bit is this weird good old boys network that does exist in U.S. soccer. Yeah, And my biggest thing is, I don't think people realize how much or or who this is going to impact the most. And I think that it's going to, personally, I think this whole situation being blown out of proportion, yes, it hurts U.S. soccer. Yes, it hurts Greg Berhalter. Yes, it hurts Claudia Reyna. But m- more importantly, I think it hurts Gio Reyna. Mm-hmm. And... This is dirty laundry being aired that does not need to be aired that could impact a very talented young player's career. Yeah. And for U.S. soccer, that is very detrimental to the future of the organization. And 
their ability to progress as a respected, you know, footballing or soccer nation. It is uh, a, a tough thing, you know, here. So what I liked is that um, who tweeted this? Let me pull this up real quick. So that oh, I just lost it. So this is in response. So U.S. men's national team thoughts. I think most people right here know that account it says uh, so disappointed in all parties from Burhalter's decision to limit Geo to Geo's reaction to that news to his parents decision to I'm not going to say it, but to, you know, call Ernie about Burhalter to Burhalter put it out publicly at a conference to Reina's actually then now made their side public. It's a mess. And Rob B responded and said, there's another way to look at this that's necessary. If true, any contact by Reina was made in-house to USSF and principally to Ernie Stewart, whom all sides had known for decades. There was no public. Could it be that USSF mangled this from day one? My only response to that though is, because of what's happened with the women's side and everything, even the equal pay and the abuse that's happened in the domestic league here, you just guys got to remember, they have to cover their backside in this. They can't be seen as being caught surprised when they potentially knew something, which has now amplified it, but it goes back to poor leadership for a long time. And this, to me, is also a sign that we're still a growing soccer nation and we don't have it figured out. I would agree on all fronts. I would also ask one other question with the whole situation is why did Danielle call Ernie over just directly calling Greg to try and mitigate it? Because that could have also kept it out of well, I mean, I would say that the they, media and being investigated. We don't know that she didn't. That's true. We don't know that she didn't. Right. But yeah. you would yep. also yep. assume that they probably weren't having a great time talking during yeah. the World Cup after everything that's, that had happened. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I don't really know what the relationship between the Burhalters and Reynas are since he took over. I mean, that right. very easily could have not, you know, separated them a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, she was also calling a friend who has authority in the situation and could get something done, you know? Sure. So, like that's, I said, we don't know point. she didn't, but at the same time, like, and now where we're take this to is that they're all friends. They've known each other for decades. They've played together. They've coached together. They've been in this organization together. And um, Half Spaces had a really good article. So if you go to halfspaces.com, it's actually from when Burhalter was officially signed as coach. And he was using, the author there was using the, um, the term nepotism much more loosely than just family. And he was using nepotism as a, in U.S. soccer, there is a very tight network of who, essentially, if you played under Bruce Arena or Bob Bradley or you coached with them, you pretty much now have your blessing to go wherever. So it's kind of like if you coach for Saban, you can probably get a head coaching job somewhere else, right? Which, uh, I mean, if you look at it, it, it's actually true. Like if you if you coach for Bill Belichick, you have a head, you coaching, have a head job. Co- coaching job somewhere in uh, NCAA or in the NFL. Because and then you have a return job once you get fired from that job. <laughs> because they're the yes. no, they're the number one and number two most successful coaches in soccer history in America. And so uh, what this kind of shows is how tightly wound this web is. And that pretty much the guys from like the late 90s, early 2000s are now in that um, middle-aged tier where they've been doing administrative duties and things for 20 years. So they're seen as like, experienced enough to take on these roles yes it's all a bit shocking like it was a good quote in that article they said look if the cco uh or the coo hired their brother to be the head coach of the trinidad and tobago team we would all probably look at it with a different lens than we did in america like in america we just kind of accepted it and like there was a lot of concerns about uh, burhalter being a 500 coach in the mls all of a sudden getting a jump up to being the U.S. men's national team coach. Now, he's gone to, uh, I think it was like Finland, and he's been to Europe. Like, you know, he did his time and, and learned, course. and I'm sure he presented well. Jimmy Conrad put out a video, and he said, you know, he didn't get along with Greg. He said Greg uh, was a bit of a dick on the field, but he said he was always re- he knew exactly how he wanted the game to be played, and he was good at communicating it, which is a Agreed. good version of a coach. Absolutely. And, and, and I can back that up with 
word from players that have played for him mm-hmm. in terms of that. You know, like they have all said that he has known what he wants from day one and he communicates it very well, which is why he was so successful as a coach. And I think one of the reasons why he was able, you know, he was a front runner for the, for the U.S. Job. Yeah. Um, so at the time where I think this is interesting, you texted it to me somewhere. Oh no, you sent it on Instagram. Uh, it's hard to follow Cody. He's on all these different social media platforms. So you sent this and again, this is from USMNT only except on Instagram. It says per the athletic, multiple sources said U S soccer has in recent years shown an interest in Manchester city coach, Pep Guardiola. Other coaches mentioned in the article to be considered have been Jesse Marsh, Zinedine Zidane, Roberto Martinez, uh, Marcelo Bielsa and Luis Enrique, which I think is interesting because when you take the fact that allegedly we looked at these super sexy European coaches, a fun tweet from Simon Evans says, Jurgen Klinsmann is the only U.S. men's national team coach in the last 25 years not to have been from New Jersey or New York. Fascinating. <laughs> like, Old boys club. 25 years. 25 years. That now, is... how long was Klinsman here? Two cycles? I think so. So maybe yes. like eight, nine of those years was taken up by one person? Yeah, roughly. I, I don't think... He wasn't here eight years. He was here for the 2014 World Cup and qualifying into that World Cup. Gotcha, because we, we didn't make 2018. Got... But, but he got fired before... That, Bruce came because in. Bruce came in, and Bruce <laughs> yeah. was the head coach that did not qualify. Yes. On that soggy pitch. <laughs> yeah, it, it, not saying it was Bruce's fault. I'm just saying he was in charge at the time. Yeah, but he, so, was, some of us he was hired in a position that was... Not great. Not great, yeah. He was, in, he was put yeah. into a very difficult situation. So, again, uh, New York, New Jersey. Uh, D.C. is the other big one, and then obviously L.A., but no one has ever been a head coach or an assistant coach west of Salt Lake City. So it's just an interesting fact that like if you're not from the northeast of the United States, you're not really getting a look right now. Yeah. So that's funny to see these European names because who do they go with at the end of the day? Who you know. And you know how this works. You saw it firsthand with Brad Friedel coming into the Revs. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I, I did, and you know I was told that one of the main reasons, not that Brad Friedel didn't meet the criteria for the job, it was you know there was a, a a fact of he and Mike Burns, the GM at the time, were uh, ex U.S. national team teammates, or and I believe even roommates, and I, I just. Not, I'm not saying it's nepotism. I'm just saying that it's such a small world yeah. that Mike Burns is, in, is the general manager, an ex-teammate, an ex-potential roommate, gets the head coaching job at the Revs over what I could only assume were a handful of other you know, candidates, candidates options. options. Yeah, however you want to say it. And... At the time, I believe Bruce Arena was also a candidate when Mike and the Crafts hired Brad Friedel. And then less than 18 months later, Bruce got the job anyways. <laughs> and he was not only general manager, but he was also the head coach. So, um, yeah. So to your point, right, it's, it's again, not that anyone's unqualified. It's no. just there's a sense of familiarity. I think what we're seeing... So Comfort. Look, I haven't been in the system. This might shock everybody that I was not in the, the youth national team system. <laughs> I have not played for the national team. But what I have from experience of being an operator, an administrator, running soccer clubs, having played in soccer clubs, coached in soccer clubs, and now getting all the way out of it and just looking at the business side is like I live my, my day-to-day life in the business world and I reflect on how it looks in MLS and U.S. soccer. I find it fascinating. But I've seen it in my life too where – there is a good old boys network. It does happen in these situations. So I think as fans, we just need to buckle up and say, hey, probably for another 10 years, this core group of guys from like the 98 to the 02 World Cup are probably going to be ever present in everything yes. they do. 
and they are going to continue to get job opportunity after job opportunity because their buddies are the ones that are the GMs and in charge at U.S. Soccer and these different things, you know. And part of those people got those roles because of their relationships with these managers yeah. and coaches and things. So it'll be interesting to see who in MLS gets brave and goes and hires, you know, foreign coaches, outside coaches, tries to do something different. Yeah, we're starting to see it a little bit, but I don't really know where U.S. Soccer goes with this. Um, because I bet Burhalter was going to get an extension. I bet he, I would have, I would have put my house on it that if he, he wanted it, extension. If, if he if, wanted, if he it, wanted it, he right. could have had it. Now you don't really know. No, you don't because it's, it, this has created such a situation that they might just say, look, we're going to move on. It's easier. We, it's, it's easier to live without this pressure. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I would agree with that. I would also, bringing it back to U.S. soccer having met with Pep Guardiola, with Zinedine Zidane. Or, sure. I would love to know to what degree. That's what I said. To what degree did they, did they meet with these names? Well, they just Did they sit down in, with a representative? No, they slid in the DMs they, and never heard back. Right. <laughs> did, they, did they have full-on conversations with Pep Guardiola about coming in as... U.S. men's national team coach, Marco Bielsa. I mean, so my understanding is there's kind of three levels to this, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, right? So when a national team, they want to talk to somebody who's connected to their agent, because you don't go right to the direct. Usually, there's like an intermediary, right? Yeah. Where it's like, hey, I know this person who knows this person who knows Pep. We'll use that as an example. Sure. So you're going to ask your buddy to talk to his buddy and just see if there's any interest. Be like, hey, hypothetically, let's go out for a nice little seafood lunch, right? Hypothetically, let's throw this out there. Uh, how about you run back to uh, Europe and you, you you send me a little WhatsApp? Yeah. Okay, you get a positive note. So you're like, all right, well, let's go ahead and engage with the agent now, something a little bit more formal. Because you as soccer will have to go back and say, okay, what would this look like? If yeah. Zinedine Zidane comes in, like – how would we structure all of this? Because when Jurgen came in, he was head of U.S. soccer development. Yes, he, he was, was in charge of the, the youth structure, and it was a disaster. So I don't think the U.S. wants to do that again. <laughs> so then you fish, you can get to the point, or did they get all the way to the point where agent, manager, and U.S. soccer are all sitting in some obscure five-star hotel in Switzerland having an off-the-record discussion. Right. So to your point, do we get to step one, step two, or a sit-down step three? I would be I would very be interested. Very interested to know, especially with not just, say, Pep, but with all the other names on that short list. The only one on there that I could actually see having gotten to maybe step three is Jesse. Jesse Marsh. You didn't right? have to because, go far to get to him. Right, because he's an American. <laughs> all you had to do is maybe fly to, uh, what, New York when he was the Red Bulls coach. or That's where U.S. Soccer is headquartered. So are they in Chicago? They're in they Chicago. They have offices in New York. But they so have offices easy. in New York. So maybe they didn't even have to go to an obscure five-star hotel. They just brought him into the, to the headquarters there. And, and who's and, bringing Marcelo Bielsa in? That guy needs a million hours of on-the-pitch training with those guys. Everyone knows that. The one yeah. thing you don't get with national team players <laughs> is a thousand hours is, is enough team. time. Yeah, so I, agree. I think and that did was I say a little Marco bit Bielsa Marcello, Marcelo, he's Argentinian. Uh, but like Zidane, Sorry, if I butchered that. that, we know that he can come in and rally a group. I think Pep, you know, he does want time. He plays in half spaces within half spaces of half spaces. <laughs> you know, he's very detailed. Yes, uh, Jose Mourinho would be great if they're if they honestly have the thing. Talk about unifying a dressing room and a siege mentality. Yeah, well, and just the type of mentality that I think would fit U.S. soccer of a... Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Look, a lot of Chelsea American fans have talked about it, and we're like, Jose would win us the World Cup. Uh, I have... Yeah, I, I think he would. Just with the talent that we have, which is very good, but it does not match that of... Yeah any other top 10 footballing nation, yes. I think Jose Mourinho could come in, oh, yeah. could get the players to buy into a system and go very, very far yeah. in a competitive tournament. Without a doubt. He's done well at Roma, too. Um, 
you know, Zidane has done it when uh, he had to come in in the middle of the season, I think, or he was leaving. I think he, he was came at Real back. Madrid, yeah. Well, and then they won the Champions League when everyone's like, they have no business winning. Was that? Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. he's yeah. proven that he can rally a dressing room of all stars, world class players, and do it. Yeah. He the only the Galacticos. only problem with him is that he was so good that sometimes he struggles to connect with average players because he's like, why don't you see this? Why don't you have this skill? Yes. But again, I think we would be blessed. But again. I can't believe that on the 6th of January, we're having this conversation. It was Greg's to have. It's all gone up in smoke. But not only that, there's more things starting to come out. So Ricardo Pepe is one of the players who was a surprise uh, drop off the roster. He came out, had a quote. I'll pull it up. I mean, the dude was unhappy. Exactly the moment, you know, I just had... I hopped on a phone call with a national team coach and, you know, he said that I wasn't on the, on the roster. So then I just hung up the phone on him. Like, Did not, you ask why? No, not really. To be honest, you know, it was just something that I was in shock. You know, I was in shock because it took me like five minutes to be able to like, just get it in my mind. You know, at first I thought it was like a, you know, I, I just couldn't believe it, you know? And then, um, I was just talking to the coach, and then when we hung up the phone, then I just called my agent immediately, and then I called my dad. And then they thought I was playing with them. So, sure. yeah, I mean, it was something that, you know, I was I was shocked, to be honest. And, you know, like I said, I use every situation, and every every situation like this is always going to make me hungry, and it's always going to motivate me to, to keep working and, and working hard. So, by the way, that was five minutes into that podcast. They dove right in right in. to that Start, topic. <laughs> yeah, straight into the deep end. So... Again, with Pepe, he was told to go to a bigger league. He went to Germany. He wasn't getting minutes. They said, you need minutes. He went to Amsterdam, or I guess the Netherlands. He was getting minutes, and they said, nah, you're not playing good enough competition. Allegedly, you're out. So he feels super hard done by Greg because he felt like he did everything he was told and then still got axed off the plane. Yeah, and I think that that's, I think that that's a very difficult situation to be in because – as a player, you are essentially doing everything that you are asked to do to put yourself in the best position possible to make the World Cup team. And he doesn't. And he gets that phone call, is told that he isn't going to make the World Cup team, and then apparently hangs up on Greg. I think that that is a very immature response. I understand the response. However, I think that it's a moment that Ricardo will look back on and regret handling it in the way that he did. There are many situations in my playing career that I regret handling the way that I did. My you know, attitude, my um, response during the 2017, 2017, 2018 season when Brad Friedel first came into the Revs, I regret handling um, you know, certain situations during that time frame. Uh, however, I have learned from them and I've grown from them. And I think that this will also be one where you know, we, we talked earlier in the, in the show about how Gio will learn from his mistake at the World Cup. I think Ricardo Pepe will also learn from will hopefully learn from and grow from from this situation. Dude, he that dude is so upset. So he's their top-rated player for FC Groningen. He's got 6 goals, 2 assists in the league. Like they're in 12th place, so they're obviously struggling in the Eredivisie. But like Ricardo Pepe is their main man. And Absolutely. he's and he's 19 to your point, right? He he's actually turning 20 in a couple of days here. So he's still a young player. Um, like I said, you've got that call. Hey, you're not going to the World Cup. It's a hard one to take, especially as a young player. This is just like more um, not great news for Greg. No. But it's so now you kind of look at it, and this is where it gets twisted a little bit, right? This is where it gets a little – if you're a U.S. soccer, if you're Ernie Stewart, right, if you're everybody there. Things if just Greg, keep crawling out of the woodwork. Well, if Greg has now fallen out with Ricardo Pepe, potentially, that's probably a savable relationship. For sure. Maybe. Reyna's out. You now say two of our youngest, most promising players who are going to be 23 and 24 at the next World Cup in North America – 
is Greg going to be there? And if he is, is is he able to get those guys in a spot where they're going to play for him? Because U.S. soccer has to think four years out, which is impossible. But they have to take these things into account. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Um, and it all goes back to is, is U.S. soccer going to use what is currently coming to the forefront as an excuse to get away from Greg? Maybe a two-year deal instead of a four? But I don't. I don't. Do you do that? I mean, do what you, happens? Because if, because is Gio Reyna gonna be? Is he gonna be able to get Gio Reyna on board for these two years? Well, I suppose right because because if he's, you want Gio Reyna involved. If he's one of your most young and promising players, you want him involved for these next two years, leading into the two years of qualification, leading into the next World Cup. And there's not a lot going on national team wise in the next two years. No. So I guess isn't. you're also thinking, well. I'll just wait you out. Like, I'm going to keep playing, but if you're only here for two years, I'll just wait for the third year. New coach comes in and I'm back in. Yes. I, there's all of these, like, yeah. these, like, alternate realities and, like, things that they have to play out. Well, and it's not just with the national team, but there is, you know, we're going to call it player power, right? Yeah. As a Chelsea um, fan, I'm well aware of it. Yes. <laughs> and, and it's a situation that happens at many clubs where, Players stick out contracts because they know the reality is the statistics back it mm -hmm. that players last longer than managers. Easier to change one than an entire team. Exactly. And I think what's we'll use Chelsea as an example for this. But, Andre Villas-Boas absolutely got bullied out by Drogba, Lampard, John Terry. Yeah, well, but there's a current player. Uh, he's playing center back. He was a Chalaba. Young, Trevo yeah. Chalaba. yeah. How many managers has he gone through? Didn't get his Premier League debut under any of these guys. Yeah, he's on New loan. New manager comes. He spent, what, five, six, seven seasons on loan at various clubs. Yeah. Was told, what, he wasn't good enough, but kept getting new deals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so and is now a, 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 a regular were, in the first team. There was injuries in preseason two years ago, so he literally started the first game of the season and scored as a right center back in a back three. <laughs> and he hadn't played. No. He was a, he was a striker, his... a winger? No, he's a center back. Oh, but, he but he played midfield in France. So okay. he's a versatile okay. right-footed CDM center back, can play right center back in a back three. But yeah, just but we've seen that all over, to your point, right? Yes. It's not just a Chelsea. It's not just the U.S. Injuries, soccer. Injuries, new coaches, just things happen. I mean, you know you played how many games last season for Vancouver? Yeah. 2020 I okay think. and like you went in thinking you probably were going to get the odd cup game or yep. maybe here and there Hassal right? gets injured he gets injured and all of a sudden you're thrown in and you're guaranteed a run of games essentially yes. it changes your fortune it changes your favor it is it, i don't i don't know what do you think like if you are a 19 20 year old who is on the up and up uh in the european stage on the national team stage how worried are you if you're Gio and Pepe about this saga? I think I think Gio more so than Pepe is probably thinking, I hope this goes away sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. uh, however, in the long term, I don't think either of them are really worried about it. I think they are currently preoccupied with their club season thankfully thankfully I mean, because Gio went back right after the world cup and he scored a banger he did he scored a world-class goal right after the world cup right after all of this kind of you know imploded came came into the public into the public eye i think long term they're they're not too worried about it all right enough about the drama uh we could probably go on for a lot longer but uh, I do want to touch on MLS preseason, and for yeah. those of you that aren't aware, um, the season has shifted. The schedule, this is the first year of a, of a change in schedule, is that right? I wouldn't say it's the first year. I think because of you know COVID, because of adding more games, teams coming into the league, the, the schedule continues to change. Now... When I first came into the league in 2016, my first preseason was 2017, our f start date wasn't until 
I think the 25th of January or the final Friday in January. And every year it has just gotten earlier and earlier and earlier. And more games have somehow found their way into the schedule. The season has either compacted or become more demanding somehow. And it's just fascinating to see how it all plays out because January 6th is today. And I believe that that was the report date for all players to return to market. The city where their team is based. The city where their team is based. They have entrance physicals, media day, etc. over the next two days, and then preseason training starts on the 9th. Yeah, so, I mean, we're at it. How many competitions do you play? So you've got the the MLS League season. Yes. You've got uh, potentially CONCACAF Champions League. Correct. You had the Canadian Cup. Obviously, is a Canadian team, and the equivalent for all U.S. teams will be the Lamar Hunt Trophy. Open Cup. Yep, the U.S. Open. Yep, and then this year they have a competition between Liga MX and MLS teams Jeez. called Leagues Cup, where I believe the MLS season and the Liga MX season will stop for one month, and all teams will go into groups of four. Okay. And be guaranteed three games each. In awesome. A, you know, essentially so like a World you, Cup you might bout. You might get two Mexican teams or two U.S. teams. Some, Is the yeah. CPL involved, the Canadian Premier League? No. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Because uh, that would then open the door for all USL teams. Oh, I think it's just MLS and... Liga MX. Liga MX. But yeah, so... You know, Vancouver this year will compete in four competitions. They will have CONCACAF Champions League. They will have MLS. They will have uh, the Canadian Championship. Yeah. And they will have the League's Cup. Now, you're talking a minimum of 40 to 45 games. I mean, the top European teams are playing 60. Yeah, but... But that's my point, though, is like... We they, know, well, we can look at rosters, level of players. Right. The, in they Europe, don't have they a don't, salary cap. They so have better travel. They have better travel. They have better facilities. They, uh, I, I mean, all around, you have the support to play 60 games. Yeah. You have squad depth. You have better travel, like we just said. You have better facilities. You have better recovery. Um, you don't have eight-hour flights across the country yes. and all those things. Uh, I, I mean, last year when we played New England at home, New England had a six and a half hour flight. Yeah. I mean to come and play us. Yeah. You don't you don't get that in Europe. If you're there the you know a day and a half before you have time to acclimate. Yeah. Yeah. It's very it's it's very demanding. This is it's not that it's a harder league to adapt to, but a lot of players that come from Europe struggle because they don't the travel is so demanding. Well, I mean, Steven Gerrard put his foot in his mouth with his quotes of that he had no idea essentially what he walked into in the MLS, but it highlighted the kind of pre-COVID craziness that was the league. I mean, at least you guys are getting chartered flights these days and things. Yeah, I mean, I mean, pre-COVID, we were flying domestic airlines. My friend is Team Ops at Sporting KC, and it was like, which terminal are you in? I was like going to walk into the terminal where the Sporting Kansas City team was walking out of. Like, un heard of in any other like league yeah. or sport so all right so Crazy. preseason is kicking off it's earlier and earlier and earlier now so yes and this is the first time coming off a world cup there wasn't a lot of mls guys in the world cup no i think but there is uh, one world champion there is there is one world champion the atlanta united guy yes tiago almeida sure I'm working on it this year. This year, I'm going to commit to MLS. You're going to commit to more MLS. Yes. Once you get signed, that'll help me. (laughs) That would help me too, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, obviously Walker Zimmerman was a big one. Jordan Morris played. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, U.S. soccer and uh, I'm going to say Canadian soccer. Sure. Why am I? Canadian. Canadian soccer? Yeah. Yeah. Canadian. Yeah, right. that's okay. yeah, that's what uh, that's not Alfonso Davies plays the Canadian um, national team. Their national teams were made up mainly 
of MLS MLS guys or a majority of the MLS players that were at the World Cup were on either of those yeah. rosters. You I would, say. you and I will grab a Canadian player and we will talk about how much the MLS and Division 1 soccer has boosted the profile of soccer and the profile player in Canada. Yes. We talked about it lightly. That is a whole other episode I want to dive into because the number of guys that are coming from Canada into Division One schools and then getting into the Super Draft or you know getting into Absolutely. academies and things, it's good. I think we're all happy that you know you have a competitive North America. Is the fact that you know Canada they were a dead rubber back in the day, and yeah. it hasn't been that long. No, they, their trajectory has been fascinating. So we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. But um, you know, from a preseason standpoint. A lot of teams are going to go to warm weather markets. Are they staying domestic or do they go abroad? Is every team different? Every because, team is different. Because it depends on the owner, right? Absolutely. The owner gets to decide how much they loosen the purse strings and get to do things. Yes. There's not like a league requirement for preseason? Not that I'm aware of. Um, it also, what also that comes in, into play is who the general manager is. Mm. You know, so like Vancouver has a, a German general manager, German Austrian general manager, and they are doing their first preseason trip in Marbella, Spain. Um, the classic for a lot of North European teams. Yeah, yes. However, I know their second preseason trip is in Palm Springs, which is, an, I don't want to say it's a new tournament or a new uh, preseason option, mm -hmm. but I believe 10 to 12 MLS teams are doing their second preseason trip in Palm Springs. So uh, it, it, it varies. You know, when I was in New England, we did, under Brad Friedel, we did a preseason in Marbella, Spain. And the year before that, under Jay Heaps, we did uh, Casa Grande, Arizona, which is no longer an option for many reasons. <laughs> you know that not to say that that was Jay's decision, but I think it was just yeah. you know the purse strings at the time Jay had Jay was in charge of the team were a little bit tighter than when they than they were when Brad came in. Yeah. And even more so when Bruce oh, yeah. came in. Bruce, look, Bruce in his contract negotiations, he gets to call the shots. He's going to control a lot of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Well, preseason is, is wild to think that post-World Cup, we're now going right into the season. I think some of those guys are going to get a little bit of time off. But, like, Kylian Mbappe went immediately back to PSG. He was in training, but then he was at the Brooklyn Nets game. So I think is every player just different on post-tournament, how quickly they want to get back to, to going? How have you seen that in with your teammates? Um. I don't think it's it, it's player dependent. I think it's club dependent in how much of a load they took during the World Cup, or um, you know, I, I mean, Kylian Mbappe is is a I'm gonna say a different level because he can show up at the Brooklyn Nets game and have traveled from Paris two days before on a private jet, mm -hmm. whereas a lot of the guys in MLS can't do that. Correct. Um, so I think going back to the load that players take during a, a specific phase of, of their, you know, for MLS during their off season, I think teams will reintegrate them as they see fit, as I'm sure a lot of, you know, European teams did. You know, I, I you know, look at... Walker's going right back in. Walker doesn't know what to do well, with himself. <laughs> yeah, Walker's like, Walker, Walker's hungry, hungry to be right back in. Yeah. But you, you look at some of the Premier League players, there were um, England players playing in the first week back of the Premier League mm -hmm. and guys that maybe were with Argentina. McAllister or with Brighton. McAllister with Brighton. He, he just got back. He just got back, so he's now being reintegrated. Uh, and I, I believe he played in the last game. He came on as Brighton. a late sub, and they whooped, I forgot who they played, 4-1. I right, mean, they were cooking. So. Right, so it it, it it all depends yeah. on how many games they played, how many minutes they played, when they were knocked out of yep. the tournament. Um, there's a lot that goes into. But in, much in, into much it. better for MLS to be 
preseason reintegrating rather than these European and South American absolutely, teams that have to do it middle of the season. Absolutely, because they get no rest. Yeah. And it's not, just, it's not just the fact of limited rest. It's like no time off. Mm-hmm. And more games. More games. Their bodies have taken such a beating because they started – most European teams or most English teams will start preseason on January 1. Uh, sorry, July July one mm-hmm. with the youth with four weeks. Of, yeah, fringe players. Right, four four to five weeks of preseason before the first game of the season. Yeah, then they go from the first of August or August seventh to the World Cup. These guys go straight to the World Cup with a week of preparation with their country, mm-hmm. two weeks of preparation at most. Yep. Then they get eliminated or they go all the way. They go straight back to their club team and they have another six months. Yeah, nonstop now. Nonstop. And in, in part of that, you also had two international breaks this fall. So depending on where you were and where your national team is playing, you were having to go all over the world. All over the world. It, yeah, it is it is definitely... It's taxing and well, it takes its toll. You and I will do another one. Gianni Infantino has put both feet in his mouth and wants a World Cup every like three years now where he wants and he wants to create a new tournament so every single summer there will be a FIFA mandated national uh, or I guess global tournament but um, you've definitely put a lot of good stuff out there about you know players getting run ragged and you know we saw the horrific injury at the end of the MLS Cup that was in extra time players were fatigued they'd played an entire season they were in overtime their mind is making a decision that their body can't fulfill. And, you know, Crepo has a terrible leg break. Um, yeah. Fatigue plays into that. And MLS Absolutely. needs to reckon with it. I doubt they will right now. But um, all we can hope for is a healthy preseason. The players get the time off. Um, thank God sports science is getting more and more into the MLS. Um, you know, with the the training vest, with catapult and sports stats and things like that. Um, I would say I think MLS has, to their credit, done a good job of wearing the vest from the beginning. Uh, a lot of Agreed. traditional European teams like, no, 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 you can't wear it. There's a hard plastic thing. We're traditional. That data is now coming into it. For so. sure. However, having said that, head coaches and assistant coaches need to actually – Listen to that information. I've got, a, I've got a great follow-up on that later because essentially medical staffs are there to advise. Coaches still make decisions. Correct. So, All right. Hey, we've gone long. This has been a good one. I appreciate it. Um, we'll keep you guys updated on Real Housewives of U.S. Soccer. Uh, more to come Perfect. on that one. Wow. <laughs> the drama. Wow. That was quite witty. Yeah, well, quite my witty, wife's Brandon. been like watching that. it. So oh, yeah. Sounds familiar. A little top of mind. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, MLS preseason is about to kick off, so we'll start to, once the guys get settled, uh, once you find your home, we'll we'll do a little bit more uh, about that as the season kicks off. But I'm excited, so let's get U.S. Soccer out of the out of the way. World Cup's over. We don't need to hear anything from them for no. a while. I think it's wild they're having a January camp, but it's a FIFA regulated date, so they can, I suppose. That's true. All right, whatever. Anyways, share it with somebody you like. Hope you enjoyed it. If you're not following us on TikTok, follow us on Instagram. Check out Motivate. Link in the description. We're out. More content coming at you guys next week. Have a great weekend.